0: Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom.
1: Welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. We've been, last week we couldn't do it because we had a special event, so we're back in our regular study now and get back on track. Um, Let's see, for some of you that are new, um, we've been just going through the Torah uh, as much as we can get it uh, covered in an hour and a half. Now, we we have, the Torah has been divided into 54 portions, and typically, traditionally, you do a portion each week. Uh, But we have found that sometimes it goes, it's too hard to get everything in one of those those portions in sometimes in an hour and a half. And so we decided as a group that we would just um, go through as much as we could go through and stop, and then next week we'd pick up where we were and continue on. And we've been doing that for, I don't know, several years now, really. Um, and we're in Exodus, and we've, uh, we're, in, actually, we're in chapter 23. Last week, we, uh, we did about half of chapter 23 last week, week before last, I should say. Mm, what else do I want to say before we get started here? We just read what's there. I've got some questions that I ask, and we get a discussion going, and my, my job is to basically, uh, Day, moving right along. So we, we go off on little rabbit trails, but we try to keep them short because we want to get things covered. I guess I'll, I'd like to pray and then we'll start. <clears throat> Father God, thank you very much for the evening. Thank you for this pretty day we've had. I thank you for this group of people that decided to come out this evening and study your Torah. I'd ask that you just be in our conversation tonight, that you would meet us where we are And we know that uh, where two or three are gathered in your name, you're amongst us. And as we look at your word and decide, try to decide what it means for us, we'd ask that you'd uh, just help us to listen to one another. And uh, just thank you for blessing us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, so chapter 23, we started off with that. And I lost my glasses. That's not a good thing. But anyway, I could probably wing it. Um, we got through the first little section. It was verses 1 through 9, which was just about, it was about uh, justice and mercy. Then I think we talked about the Sabbath laws. I'll review a little bit of this since it's been two weeks. <clears throat> but we don't have to, um, you know, it, you can remind me if we already talked about this. I think we have. But I'm going to, I'm going to begin. We'll, mostly I'll get you guys to read. But until we get going to where I know we were. I'll read just a little bit to catch up. So chapter 23, starting in verse 10, um, I'll read. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods and do not let them be heard on your lips. Um, Okay. Are there any thoughts about that particular section? What does it say you're supposed to do with your your crops, your your farm land. Every six years, let lay fallow is the term. Um, I don't I don't think we did this, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> Turn with me, for if you will, to 2 Chronicles chapter thirty-six. Second Chronicles, you know, it goes first and second kings, first and second chronicles, and Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six is just about the end. Of the chapter, Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six. Okay, what's going on here? This is uh, uh, relating historically the fact that Judah was conquered by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, and all that, hauled them off to Babylon. And I'm going to start reading in in verse 20 of chapter 36. It says, He carried into exile. He is is, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the Babylonians took the Jews at that time, Judah, and they took them to Babylon. And the Persians eventually conquered the Babylonians. But until that time, the, the Jews were in Babylon. Then it says in verse 21, The land enjoyed its Sabbaths rests all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word that Yahweh had spoken by Jeremiah. So, what is the, how many years were they in captivity? It says right here, 70, right? and it says those the land enjoyed its sabbath rests so that was 70 sabbaths that they had evidently not done so 70 sabbaths would correspond to how many years in the life of the nation of Israel John
2: 490
1: 490
2: so in, in Jewish years, that's 490 years.
1: Yeah, in Jewish years, that's 490 years. So, uh, you know, the, the point is, is it's, um, let's see, the Babylonian captivity began in 586, and the kingdom was divided, uh, well, it was divided in about the year 1000, okay? So it was pretty much uh, up until the division, I should say, about the time that the nation of Israel was divided into the two parts It looked like they had not, they didn't do this Sabbath year, this, it's called Shemitah, by the way, they didn't do the Shemitah for almost that entire time. 490 years because 7 times 70 is 490 years. And so God said, okay, fine, you don't want to do that, then uh, I'll do it. And so he basically, I'm paraphrasing here, he, he took them captive and he says, okay, now then my land is going to get all the Sabbath years that it needed to bring the tally back to normal, which was 70. And sure enough, the, the southern kingdom was in captivity for 70 years. I thought that was kind of a neat little fact. Yeah, John. Oh, I like this.
2: So, by not doing the Torah, the land spewed them out.
1: <laughs> that's exactly, vomited them out. That's right. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Where does that term come from? That, uh, oh, uh I'm just saying I was wondering where oh man. I don't know if they'll help. No, they'll be a lot. Thanks. No, oh, me or it? Okay. No, this works fine. I can do this. Okay. Any other thoughts about the, the Sabbath Sabbath year?
2: So <clears throat> I would think there's a biblical permaculture lesson there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but
2: you got to pay attention to the land. You can't just pull out of it and pull and pull and pull and not, you know, yeah, yeah. work with the environment that's there.
1: Yeah, I think that's fine. I also think that you know the other the other way to look at that is uh, God's. He's amazingly patient, right? I mean, he he dealt with them for 490 years, the whole time them not doing this, but finally he said, "Okay, the time for The time for bringing up the tally, the time for taking care of this is now. So, anyway, I just think that's interesting. Let's move on. Uh, I'll read, uh, I'm going to read this next little section and then I'll let somebody else read. I'm in Exodus chapter 23 starting in verse 14. Um, Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. Eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field, and celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year all the men are to appear before the sovereign Yahweh. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast, and the fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of Yahweh your God, and do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. This is a great fun one, right? Okay. So, um, how many times a year were the Israelites commanded to celebrate a festival to God? That's what it says specifically. To me. Three times. Oh, I gave away the answer. (laughs) Sorry. Three. The answer is three. All right. And when were those three? Who can say?
3: Unleavened bread, Shavuot, and tabernacles? Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. The way I always remembered those is that there's three that occur in the spring. It's Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and first fruits—that those those happen uh, during a week, right in the in the middle of spring. Then there's one that sits out by itself, which is Shavuot or Pentecost. And then there's three in the fall, which is Day of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Sukkot or the in Gathering.
4: Joe, uh, allow me to go back to what you were talking about. Uh, sure. The- the land that was to rest, mm-hmm. earlier God told uh, them to dress the land, take care of it, take care of the garden. Mm-hmm. So uh, being that uh, they were uh, to uh, uh, command to take care of the land, uh, letting the land rest is part of that
1: being taken care of. That's a good point. Yes, it is. Yeah, And like I say, they have proven that if you let land agricultural lands sit fallow about every seven years. It's more fertile over the long run. It's more productive, I should say. Okay, so we know about the the feast days. And by the way, we're going to get into these feasts, of course, in a whole lot greater detail in the book of Leviticus. Um, It goes on to say, do not offer blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. That Again, all of this stuff will become in more detail uh, in Leviticus. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So, what do you think about that one? Verse. It's the end of verse nineteen. Do not cook a young goat in your mother's milk. Has anybody got any thoughts about that? Um, Margaret does.
5: I think that's exactly what it says.
1: That's exactly what it says. Okay. <laughs> don't
5: boil a kid in its mother's milk. Okay. Don't take a little, a little goat, uh-huh. and boil it in the mother's milk.
1: Yeah.
3: Um,
1: okay. I don't
5: think, I don't think it means anything else. Um,
1: other than that.
6: Other than that. <laughs>
5: All right. All right. That's
1: fine.
6: I've been told that it was a practice of the heathen at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was a way of reiterating, I don't want you doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, a lot of people have gone beyond just don't boil in the mother's milk Mm -hmm. and then begin to say you can't eat milk and meat together, which isn't what it's saying at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's been a subject of some great amount of controversy for the whole Uh, 3,500 years that it's existed, because that's the basis for this uh, strict Jewish rule about you can't eat dairy and meat together. Um, That's the basis of it, is that thing. Now, whether or not, um, uh, well, there is reason to believe that it has to do with pagan practices, and that you're right, God is basically warning them, don't do as the heathen do. Yeah, Michael?
3: I've always wondered, why would somebody even do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: But well, I, know, I, can, I think there must be some spiritual significance what, of some sort. I just don't well, know Well, there what probably it is. is.
1: But I can, let me read you my little note, just, just because this is just a note. It doesn't mean much of anything, but it says, cooking a young goat in his mother's milk was likely linked not to dietary customs, but to pagan religious practices from neighboring Canaanites. Details are lacking, but some evidence suggests that milk was thought to have magical powers, and pagans would use it in fertility rites, sprinkling it on crops and vineyards to make them more productive. God wanted, the, wanted to distance his people from heathen rituals. So that's what my note says, just pretty much what Pat said. Yeah.
2: I think it has to do with mixing life with death.
1: Okay. that's So not, it's, that's it's really, okay to
2: have a kid for, to, to eat for the, the meat. But then that's that's death. Yes. And then you're mixing it with... Life, the milk. His, the Yeah, the milk that he uses to survive.
1: Well, you know, that's a very good observation. I don't see anything wrong with that. Margaret's got something, I think. Because there are other places where you could draw that distinction between life yeah, and death. To add to
5: what John said, um, usually the commanded offerings that were required were... Um, an animal that was a year old, mm-hmm. and that's almost full grown. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're taking a little baby, little Good baby point. goat, and 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 offering it, sacrificing. Yeah. So I think it. Um, that's, but um, I I have a cousin that raises goats, and he said that he said that people like to like to cook. The little the little goats because everything is tastes so much better. It's tender and tasty. <laughs> yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Other than it being full grown, so. Yeah. But um, boiling, I think too the lack of water. Yeah. Probably has something to do with how you're going to cook it.
1: Yeah, God kind of liked his. Uh, yeah. I'll say it this way: you guys laugh. If you want God kind of liked his meat roasted and barbecued. You know, yeah. he wasn't really into boiling stuff
5: yeah although there's there's mention of there's mention of it you shall boil it or yeah. whatever several times, yeah uh, but I think that there might have been a lack of water and the water was used for drinking or mm-hmm. maybe washing or whatever yeah.
1: This is one of those things that we're going to ask you know I, back on what John had said though uh, just a second is the you know we're going to come across another rule in the Torah that's pretty unusual and it's about uh if you come across uh, a bird's, bird sitting on its nest, you know, say, I forgot exactly how it goes. You can eat the eggs, but don't eat the mother or something like that. But anyway, it's similar with this life and death thing that John was mentioning. Yeah. Oh,
4: I was going to say something similar to that. Uh-huh. Like, I know it says, like, in its mother's milk specifically, not just in milk. So it makes Good me point. think it's, like, the relationship that yep. matters. Yep. And I don't know, with everything else being, like, in the Bible so much being, like, a shadow of other things, I uh-huh. feel like there's probably some meaning that we just don't get.
5: Well
1: you don't know, we just but quite don't get yet.
4: Don't get yet. So I'd yes, be like yeah. I, I'd like I'd totally disagree with like the dairy and the meat thing, but it would make me feel like, you know it says goat, but I probably shouldn't eat a calf and it's own specifics mother's
1: milk either, yep, yep. Well, even though I don't know why. Yeah, well, God, you know, God considers animals of, of significant value, and so I can see that he would have a problem with that just from the sensitivities that you're suggesting. Yeah.
6: I have heard that if you marinate meat in milk, it's, it's a form of making it tenderized. Mm-hmm. But because verse 18 implies don't let things... Wait till morning.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Perhaps marinating it, if they had that in mind, mm-hmm. would not have been good because it would have taken longer. Than Could be. Yeah. To. yeah it's,
1: there's. You know, we should point out there's a whole lot of stuff here that we're surmising, but as long as we don't like, you know, decide to we ought to divide over it. It's really we'll figure it out when we get there. We can ask him.
0: So. <laughs> Just keeping uh, in our minds the thought that the milk was used to keep that kid. baby alive. Yes. You mm-hmm. kept that. The, it was the sustenance that the, the, the kid lived for, okay? Mm-hmm. that. And so it reminds me of a scripture that says, if you take your brother's cloak, you must return it before sundown yep. because it's what he needs. To sleep in. Warm. Yeah. So... You cannot use that which is a sustenance for somebody. So it's kind of, somehow yep. they kind of intertwine here together. Yeah. The, the the very thing that that they rely on, you cannot you know use it against them or or take it from them.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So there's this is all worth worth thinking about. The thing about the Torah that's interesting to me is you see the first time I read that you know it almost made me want to kind of just throw up my hands and go, I'll never get this, and and you know. We will someday, I'm convinced, but it yeah, may be way into the future. yes, isn't it pretty strict in Israel right now about having a dairy refrigerator and a meat refrigerator or something? Well, you wouldn't much? say in Israel, but you would say among uh, practicing Jews of which there's not a whole bunch, yeah orthodox Jews, orthodox Jews do that they have i mean they have the you know yeah they'll have a big separation you know the the meat sink and the and the Dairy sink, and they'll have a meat refrigerator and a dairy refrigerator, and have meat dishes and dairy dishes. Um, I've I've been in houses that do that. Um, what can I say? <laughs> yeah. Part of the fun of this kind of stuff is talking about it, though, just so we uh, at least know we all share the same level of ignorance.
5: Yeah, I know. Um, um, this is when I when I went to Israel. I think a lot of the restaurants keep. The separation yep. for serving meals yep. just out of, yep. I guess, I don't know whether there's No, no, they respect. do. A yeah. lot of
1: restaurants, if you go to a yeah. bunch of restaurants that have salads and cheeses yeah. and things like that, they don't serve meat. Yeah. And like if you go to a restaurant remember, that serves meat, they don't serve cheese.
5: Uh, for, for breakfast, they didn't have, they didn't have meats. They mm-hmm. had milk products yeah. and possibly fish yep. and uh, eggs and things like that, but they didn't have... Um, well, Fewer I wouldn't animals. say... Yeah. Yeah. Hamburger, hamburger
1: hamburger yeah', yeah <laughs> I've often, I, but I do believe i haven't I haven't personally checked this out, but I do think when you go to McDonald's, you can get a big mac with cheese or whatever i think you i mean I think there are restaurants over there that do it because I think there are a lot of Jews that don't don't do this now there's uh it's funny over there because you know we read this and think that ever ever jew is like this, and they're not there's the the orthodox jews the jews that uh um uh, maintain that they are living according to the Torah are not the majority over there. You know the majority are kind of non-practicing, if you will. Yeah
4: I think uh, the cooking a kid in his mother's milk, uh, I think that goes along with the, uh, about the laying the land rest is a uh, a purification for the people of Israel that uh, that's just one of the things that, uh, like somebody said a while ago, it was a pagan practice, Mm -hmm. and so uh, God uh, wants a pure uh, people. And uh, so uh, I think it was just one of the things, and uh, I'm not quite sure of the spirituality or the spiritual aspect of that, but you're thinking about later on where uh, they were uh, sacrificing the children to Molech? Uh, Moak, And uh, so maybe it's not the same thing, but... uh,
1: No, but it's the same type of thing.
4: Type of thing, right. It's uh, separating a a child from his mother, Mm -hmm. you know. uh,
1: Well, more than that. I mean, you're right. But in addition to that, it's just mixing things that aren't of God with the way God says he wants things done. And you know how he feels about that. By the time we get through with the Torah, it's going to be real clear how he feels about mixing things that are not uh, of him with things that are. He doesn't like it. <laughs> Mark.
0: Of course, I think we mentioned this, if everybody remembers, a few weeks back on the uh, three men that visit Abraham. So mm-hmm. he's What's he's done? feeding them the um, curds with uh, the fatted calf. Yes, So, uh, which would be contrary and in violation if it was, if we were to look at it from the orthodox view, then Abraham is completely in violation here. I wanted to point out uh, that Exodus 23, 18 and 19, those two verses are identical back to back in Exodus 34, 26 I mean, it's the same thing, said, repeated again. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So, interested to hear what someone thinks about that.
1: Yeah, the fact that it's in there twice, exactly. I don't know. When we'll be there, and we'll be there in a couple of weeks, and we can ask that question again. <laughs> maybe there's
2: a, maybe there's a chi- chiastic structure.
1: Could be, could be. Are you, is anybody familiar with this chiastic structure? There's a, you can find it a lot of places in the Bible. It's uh, it's the it, it takes its name after the letter the Greek letter chi which is an X, and it's the way things are organized. And sometimes when they're, when the Bible is telling a story, it uh, you know it starts it the the story is in a chiastic structure. You have one level here and one level down and down and down and down and then there's a middle and then it separates back out and you can draw a parallel between the from the center point, the first two are similar, and the second two are similar, and the third two are similar, and so it kind of forms this X, and they call that a chiastic structure. And the point of that, well, oh, I tell you, a really exciting one, we'll talk about this whenever we get there, is Leviticus, the whole book of Leviticus is in a chiastic structure, and the center of the chiasm is the atonement, the instructions for atonement. So the point of it is that that the center point is what you're supposed to really get out of it is the is the thing that everything focuses into and comes out of, and I think it's really I never thought the, well I don't know we'll get there we'll talk about it some more but could be, way to go John, anything else? Nine, Nine. okay, let's go on to uh, the next section if that's okay, starting in chapter twenty our verse twenty verse twenty of chapter twenty three would somebody like to read from verse twenty to the end of the chapter?
3: 20 through what?
1: 20. Start at 20. Until? Until the end of the chapter. Okay.
3: See, I am sending a messenger before you to guard you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on guard before him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he is not going to pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you diligently obey his voice and shall do all that I speak, then I shall be an enemy to your enemies and a distressor to those who distress you. For my messenger shall go before you and shall bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I shall cut them off. Do not bow down to their mighty ones, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But without fail, overthrow them, and without fail, break down their pillars. And you shall serve Yahweh, your Elohim, and he shall bless your bread and your water. And I shall remove sickness from your midst. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I shall fill the number of your days. I shall send my fear before you and cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I shall send the hornet before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite and the Hittite from before you. I shall not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become a waste and the beast of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I shall shall drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I shall set your border from the Sea of Reeds to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river. For I shall give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them, nor with their mighty ones. <laughs> Let them not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me when you serve their mighty ones, when it becomes a snare to you.
1: Okay, this is a great little passage here. Paul, you got something? Yeah,
7: well, this is the first time that I've... Remember, noticing that it said, obey his voice. Mm -hmm. And the Hebrew word that's used there is "call." It's the same word that's used for uh, voices, uh, 255 times. Sound, 83. Noise, 17. Mm -hmm. Obey, 14. Voices, 14. Thunder, 11. So when it mentioned that uh, in the scripture where it talks about when they heard the thunder mm-hmm. in the mountain, mm-hmm. it's that same Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't noticed this, it's okay. back to back
1: twice yep. right there. Mike has something else here. That's good. Let's go for crying. it.
3: <laughs> Would you say that this messenger is Yeshua?
1: Well, we're going to talk about that. It sure looks like it. I mean, let's talk about it. First of all, the word messenger is often translated as an angel. But it's it, the word. It's the word messenger. It's just often translated as angel. So messenger is a better translation. John, do you have something?
2: Yes, mm-hmm. I do. do. You do. <laughs> so this reminds me of Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen through eighteen, whatever it is. Go it's for it. Deuteronomy.
1: What does it say?
6: Well, I don't want
2: to. You I can didn't go to that. It, okay. I don't. I, that's not. Um. Well, so who is the angel? Who, who is the messenger?
1: Well, is, it's is, not Moses. Right. Yeah.
2: Now, in the 613 commandments, tallied by the Jews, the house of Judah, our mm-hmm. brother Judah, mm-hmm. the most common one is the one by Rambam. And these 20 and 21 are not on those lists. Isn't that interesting? That's
1: very interesting.
2: It's thought, it start the one about the the uh, don't boil a, a kid in his mother's milk is. Mm-hmm. But this twenty and twenty one are it doesn't start up again until like twenty five I think.
1: Well, isn't that interesting. He conveniently omitted it.
2: Yeah, and it's the same thing. I believe it's the same way in Deuteronomy where.
1: Yeah. Um, he talks about that too. Right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's you know get real specific. What are we supposed to do with this messenger? Follow him. Pay attention Keep, to him. Schumacher. Hey, to him, right? Keith. Listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Right. Now, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's so, a clue.
2: <laughs> the other thing, too, is, uh, oh, it kind of reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10.4, mm-hmm. which says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of this, that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Messiah. Yep.
7: yep. So, I don't know. It's kind it, of a connection it, that's a there.
1: Fair, that's a fair illusion. What do you have, Paul?
7: So, a um, couple of things. Because it says, um, and obey his voice, and do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, of course. And then it says... Um, I will send the messenger before you to guard you along the way. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it says in 22 in this translation, but if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your people. Mm-hmm. I mean, an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Yeah. It's interesting. Because um, he jumps back and forth between, between he, and I. I, he yeah. and I. He and I. He and I. So That's it good. sounds like there's an
1: echad uh, there, mm-hmm. they're one. I have a couple go out to go to,
2: too, then. Oh, you have another one, John? You want me to read the Deuteronomy real yeah, quick? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 18.15. Yahweh thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet for, from, a midst, uh, from the midst of you, of thy brethren, like unto me, mm-hmm. unto me, under him you shall hearken. Yes. According to all that thou uh, desiredest of Yahweh thy Elohim in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, "Let me hear, let me not hear again the voice of Jehovah, my God; neither let me see this great fire any more, that, di- that I die not." And Yahweh said unto me, "They have they have well spoken that which they had spoken. Mm-hmm. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto the land under them." All that I shall command him.
1: Mm-hmm. Both of those. When that I,
2: one. Let me just read. One. And it, okay. it shall come to pass: Whoever shall not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of it.
1: Okay. Both of these are obviously what you'd call messianic prophecies, right? I mean, they have to be. John or Joe.
4: Uh, I take us to. Uh, in verse uh, 23, it says, For my angel shall go before thee, he's some type of a leader, uh, and bring uh, bring the, his troops into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pesacites and the Canaanites, the Hittites, yeah. and the Jeborites, and I will cut them off. So he has to be some type of a military man. Uh, and then he says, uh, i am mean, talking about all these uh, uh, Hittites and Canaanites, are all the lights,
1: The mosquito bites. And,
4: yeah. And it says, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their angels. And then the other side of that, and he shall serve the Lord your God. And so evidently this uh, angel or messenger, uh, he's in command Of what's going on there. And he's going to do all this uh, stuff here in order to follow him and obey Mm him.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. I have a couple since we're... It's my turn. Okay. Isaiah 63. You have to go to Isaiah 63. You actually have to turn there. Isaiah 63, uh, verses 8 and 9. says, uh, Isaiah 63 verses 8 and 9 says, he, he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not be false to me. And so he became their Savior in all their distress. He too was distressed, and the angel of the presence saved them in his love and mercy. He redeemed them. He lifted them up, and he carried them all the days of old. I think that's a reference to this same messenger. Then I have another one, just because we're doing it. It's Malachi 3.1. Malachi is easy to find. Go to Matthew and back up one. Malachi 3.1 says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly Yahweh The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says Lord Almighty. So anyway, there's a lot of things. Let's see. There's a lot of places you can go from here. John.
2: So in Exodus, obviously, it's Moses that's talking about this. Yes. And in Deuteronomy, he's not he's not talking about himself. He's talking about what's going to happen very shortly. Yes. And the one who is the one that actually takes him into the into the land. That's Joshua. Yehoshua,
1: right. right. Yehoshua. Oh, same name. How about that? How about that? Yeah. yeah. So that, I think that's a fascinating part. Let me uh, move on. So how, John, uh, Joe kind of touched on this, how were the Israelites to treat the people who currently occupied the land that God was giving them? Do what? <laughs> he, they're suppo- he's supposed to <laughs> utter and not just, you know, lock them away or put them in a museum Crush them, break them apart, right? Strike Completely them. destroy them.
2: Strike them very roughly.
1: <laughs> um, also, it says specifically, do not make a covenant with them and do not let them live in your land. Because if you do, it says, they will be a, snore, a snare to you. Not a snore, a snare. Of course, it turns out that that's exactly what happened. Yep.
4: This is uh, a classic case of King of, uh, King of Solomon, when uh, God told him, don't take wives, don't take horses, mm-hmm. because they're going to pull you away from, from me. Yeah. And so that what happened. That's so exactly what God, happened. God has set a uh, guard around us. If we obey his voice, he has put a barrier around us to guard us and keep us safe mm-hmm. because there's so many deceptions. Yep. You can easily, if you don't know the scriptures, don't know the Lord, you can easily be pulled away to
1: other gods. Yep, yep, that's very true. That's very true.
2: So we need to be careful about the contracts we sign. Is that what I'm getting at here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you ask. need to be very careful, I think it's really kind of interesting because i i'm I'm often struck with this. this is so not today not politically correct. He says don't allow them to live in your land, you know, and I think uh you know it's that would be that's pretty that's pretty radical, but that's what it says yeah? so
2: they're told to kick them out of the land, right? We just got to reading about the Shemitah, where they didn't follow the Torah, mm-hmm. and they got kicked out of the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's, not, he's a respect, not a respecter of persons. Nope,
1: nope. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah.
7: So I'm going back to the same thing that's just making a connection where it says the, the messenger will guard you along the way. Well, how will it guard you along the way? If you be on guard, before him to obey his voice Mm -hmm. so when we look at yeshua and he is the word Mm -hmm. made flesh the Mm -hmm. living word and then he says if you love me you will obey me Mm -hmm. if we're going to be on guard to obey his voice does it start and stop at a certain particular time did he do away with his own voice and Mm -hmm. his own word (laughs) no it's done away with he fulfilled his own word he spoke it he lived it so we don't have to right we don't have to obey is that what I'm yeah, hearing? Right.
1: No. Is that what then you're hearing?
7: how are we to guard
1: ourselves <coughs> along the way the, if the, it's done away with? <laughs> you can't, right? You, yeah. You, this, and the way you kept pointing out that it starts with he and then shifts to I yeah. indicates that the messenger and him are the same. Yeah. Right. At least the word. Yeah. And Yeshua said
7: he does nothing yeah. of his own accord. Yeah. Only so. as he has. This all all pretty proud. much
1: fits. That it. it Confirms our thinking at least Either at least in it? my head, yeah so um, why didn't God drive out the Israelites' enemies in a single year? It says right here, why didn't he do that? Anybody want to answer that? Yeah. Simply because they'd be overrun by critters <laughs> that's exactly right, and that's exactly what it says uh. I will drive them out before you little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land before it, it says, I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. It'll be overrun by wild animals, so I'm going to do it a little at a time yeah It's funny how God does that when you think about it because we know he has the ability to well he could you know he could have pulled a sodom and Gomorrah on them or whatever right He could have just nuked them, but no. He says, we'll do them. We'll let you do it a little at a time here. Joe?
4: Yeah, in uh, verse uh, 23, the Amorites, the and uh, Pest, or whatever that name is, and Canaanites, the and then, then coming down here to uh, verse 28, only uh, three of the ites are mentioned. Yeah, what I noticed that the
1: too. Other two? I, I noticed that. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, the the it, the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites were the ones that he was going to drive out. So maybe the others were to be destroyed. I mean, you could say that the other two. I don't know. Good point. If we go read the book of Joshua in great detail, we might get some insight into that because the book of Joshua is where they were. They did most of this theoretically. Um, I've got a note here. If you want to, in your copious spare time, you go through that little passage there, just that little passage in, what is it, verse 23, 20 to the end of the chapter, and count how many times God says, I will. What you'll see there is God says, I will, at least 10 times, if not more. So this, you know, this is not, this is God committing Himself. Now, we have to do some parts Right? We have to listen. We have to obey. But God says He will do this. So that's pretty cool. Any other thoughts about that before we go on? Okay. Yay. We'll move to chapter 24. That was review. <laughs> I don't think we had talked about that before though, so that was fair. Let's see. 24 It actually, 24 is not that long. It's only 18 verses. Would someone like to read? Oh, go ahead, Joe.
4: Okay, Jerry, I was just thinking. Uh, in uh, verse 31, it says, And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, oh, yeah. even to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river, for I will destroy the habits of the land. I'm glad you brought and, that and up. And thou that... shalt drive them out before thee. Now, there's just three or four of these ites that are in this area.
1: Well, you know which area that is, first of all. Can you describe it? Because that's not real definite. Okay, it said the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines. What's the Sea of the Philistines?
4: Yeah. And from the desert unto the river. so
1: it's from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, and then from the desert. Where's the desert? It's in the south, right? It's in the south to the river. The river is the Euphrates. So it's from the Sinai to the Euphrates and from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean. Okay.
4: Okay, could you say then that uh, these heights are in that area, uh, what you just said?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
2: You skipped, <clears throat> you skipped over a bunch of verses I want to talk about.
1: Oh, good, good. Well, go ahead then. Let's talk about them.
2: Uh, in 25, it says, and ye shall serve, stand on all of the of Yehovah, your God, and he shall bless the bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. So there's your health insurance. <laughs> there shall nothing cast their young. That's about miscarriage, according to Hemi Gordon. Yeah. Nor be, nor be barren in thy land, the number of the days I will fulfill. There's your life insurance. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: like that, John. That's pretty good.
2: <laughs> that's it. All right. There's an all up Tob in verse 31, but.
1: so basically, what he's promising you there is, if you if you worship him, then he'll take he'll take care of your sickness, and you'll be you won't be barren, and you'll have a full life. So that's, you're right. What more can anybody ask? Okay. Who would like to volunteer to read chapter 24? It's only 18 verses. I've got the mic. Uh-oh. It's handed to me. Yeah, but you got that awful King James to read from. <laughs> I wasn't going to be mean about it. Sorry for just taking the mic out of your hand.
4: Okay. How far do you want me to read?
1: A whole chapter. It's 18 verses, so it's not all that horrible, but.
4: Okay. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou, and Aaron, and, and uh, Nadab, and uh, Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship Eafar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice, and said, all the words what the Lord has said we will
1: do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Put the microphone closer to your mouth. No, he's got it off to the side of his mouth.
4: Okay. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning. And built an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent a young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings, of auctions unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in a basins, and half of the blood in, uh, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience audience of the people, and they said, "All the Lord has said, will we do and be obedient?" And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, "Behold, the blood of the covenant, what the Lord has made with you concerning all these words." Then went up Moses and Aaron. Nabon and Abibu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paywork of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God, and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rode up, and his ministers Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto him, Let's see.
1: Verse 14.
4: And he said unto i don't this uh, yeah i I lost my place here, this Bible here uh, fourteen and he said unto them, uh, i'm sorry uh Jerry, but i lost that's okay, I, I'm
1: using a different I understand. I understand that's no problem they they go the wrong direction. the pages turn backwards, okay."
2: 14, And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us, until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. 15, And Moses went up in the mount, a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of Jehovah abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moshe out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of Jehovah was like devouring fire, fire on top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up, up into the mount, and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights.
1: Okay, thanks. <clears throat> this is a very dramatic thing that's going on here, so I think we need to look at it in some detail and uh, kind of make sure we understand what's happening. Um, So after Moses had told the people, back at the beginning of the chapter, uh, all that God had said, what was their response? Everything that God has said, we will do. That's right. That's what they said. Everything that God has said, we will do. And um, we have talked before about how the covenant was very much like a wedding uh, covenant, right? So this is the equivalent of the people saying, I do. Right? And they've, we've read this, this essential thing before because before they le- actually, in, earlier in Exodus, before we got the Ten Commandments, and they were actually, God was, was saying the commandments, as you pointed out, Paul, He was coal the commandments, and it sounded like a trumpet, and they were just scared to death and they were on their faces, and they told Moses, you go, <laughs> you go see what this is, and you come back and tell us, and everything you tell us, we will do. All right. So they have, this is not the first time that they've said that they'd do this. Um, so what, what did Moses do the next morning? John.
2: So I just <laughs> want to back up two verses from the previous chapter. You don't have to go there, but he tells, because this is about the covenant, right? Yep. That's the theme of this chapter. Yes. He says in the previous, the, the, the second to the last verse, the previous chapter, don't enter a covenant with, you know, the people in the land.
1: Yep. So, so my covenant,
2: when you have a covenant with me, that's the only one you have a covenant with.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The covenant you have with God is exclusive, <laughs> All right. So after they said, the people said, we will do everything God has said, what did Moses do next? The hint is it's in the end of verse four. So he got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sent the young men, young Israelite men, and they all offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to Yahweh. So
2: it wasn't just the tribe of Judah?
1: No, it wasn't just the type of Judah, tribe of Judah, yeah. And then there was the blood. He took the blood in bowls in a basin. And he put half of it on the altar, and the other half he sprinkled on the people. So this was the blood covenant and the people entering the blood covenant with God. Yes.
7: So this is more of a question, because I've always been baffled about a sprinkling of the blood on the people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you, anybody explain the significance of that? Not me,
1: really. Um... Well, with every covenant, blood is involved. Blood's involved, but it's the blood... The the way I understand that, the animal that's sacrificed, the blood is the proof of the death of the animal. Now, the only thing I can say is that the sprinkling of the blood would then identify the participants of the covenant. But that, somehow or another, that's not terribly satisfying.
4: Yeah? It's when, uh, back in Genesis, where uh, the when god was ready to bring the people out of egypt he uh, had the blood sprinkled on the door well, that's fair okay yeah. and then in the new testament it's by uh uh Yeshua's blood that uh we uh, our sins have been washed away so mm-hmm. the blood there's life in the blood mm-hmm. and so if uh, it is also a protection because but, if we're under the blood,
1: yeah. then we're protected. And it's a cleansing agent as well, huh? I knew everybody would have better answers than I did.
6: I think part of it is that there is no remission for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's yep. no remission for sin. And by sprinkling it on them, it made them connected to the event.
1: Yep. Yeah, they, that's how they're identified. Yeah, that's fair. Paul. So,
7: are there other times where blood was sprinkled on people, or is yeah. this the only one? No, no, there's, there's other a times. Couple
1: times when yeah. they did that, right? Uh, I have to go find them right off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are.
2: So, evidence of a virgin and a marriage covenant—there's blood, right? Oh, okay. That's the evidence. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know if that's connected or not. Yeah, but.
1: Could be. Could be. Well, let me go on. <clears throat> So, in
0: in addition to what John said, I was hesitant to mention that part of it, but uh, I'm glad you did it for me. But when a mother has a baby, uh, there is uh, tearing of flesh, Mm -hmm. and there's blood on the baby. Mm -hmm. So, this is a covenant as well. It's a covenant between the baby and and the mother. So, it's another issue of the blood being on the person. Okay.
1: Okay. That's good. So, anyway, he does this. He... Um, they sacrifice the, the offerings, and Moses sprinkles the blood. It says, then he took the book of the covenant and read to the people, and they responded, we will do everything that Yahweh has said. We will obey. Joe?
4: Yeah, yeah, you, <coughs> yeah, yeah uh, one hears that there's the law of Moses. No, it was God's law. He just dictated to Moses what he wanted hear, to be hear. said.
1: Hear, here. It's the law of God that Moses happened to be in the in the position of, of enacting, if you will. Okay, this one last verse I want to talk about just for a second. It's not a last, but um, verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Does that verbiage sound familiar to you? Well, okay. Mark chapter 14. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. And we'll see if, if it's close enough or whatever. Mark 14, verse 24. Mark 14 is uh, the, the Last Supper. And verse 24, Yeshua is talking. Uh, verse 23, it says, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said... This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, uh, "I just thought was, that's the same, the same essential verbiage that we just read." So, it just mine, mine doesn't say renewed, but that's renewed, the better translation. mine. Just says the covenant. Yep, the. Renewed's better than new, Mark.
0: So just another point of where the blood is being put on people. So when Aaron and his sons are being ordained and and um, set apart for their office of priesthood, Exodus twenty and nineteen says, "You shall take the other ram for Aaron and his sons, and they shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall slaughter the ram, take some of its blood, and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right
1: ear." Yep, yep, yep. They they did that. They put it on the ear and the thumb and the toe. And they sprinkled, all the priests got sprinkled. So it happens quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, I just want to point out the the similarity in language between that and uh, that passage in Mark. Verse 9 of chapter 24 there in Exodus. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. So, there's some interesting things going on. First of all, the first thing that came to my mind was, I thought you couldn't see God. You know, that's that's what everybody says. Uh, Okay, notice that whenever they saw God, what did they describe? The pavement! What were they looking at? They were probably on their face looking at the ground, you know? And furthermore, that's my assumption here, God was probably this big fiery cloud of smoke and they may have looked at Him, but they didn't see Him, you know? But I just, to me, the dead giveaway was, oh, they saw God and he was standing on this sapphire pavement. <laughs> if I was, if I see God, well, I, I probably will be down there looking at the sapphire pavement. But anyway, who else? John.
2: So this chapter has three standalone autobes, three, okay. verse 3, verse 4, and then this one here in verse 10. And they saw a and autob, the God of Israel.
1: Hmm. Okay. So
2: it's in that verse about the sapphire. All right.
3: So you're saying uh, they only looked up far enough to see his feet on the pavement?
1: That, That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> now, obviously that could be wrong, but I just find it striking that they saw God and all they can talk about that he was standing on this blue pavement.
0: <laughs> so one of the things that it says is there's a, a major consuming fire mm-hmm. in this cloud, mm-hmm. but you know, there is that's before them, right? Yep. Hot enough that the rocks are still black over there where <laughs> yes. Mount Sinai is. Even today, uh,
1: yeah. Yep.
0: I, I, I remember when I first read this, what came to my mind was, I remember back w- whenever uh, they dropped that atomic bomb over in New Mexico at Trinity Site, mm-hmm. at the blast site, all of the sand was turned to glass. Mm-hmm. So I wonder that consuming fire... Turned everything to glass. There, I don't know. That it's, could be. It's interesting that they're using this word, sapphire-like glass.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you go to the to a similar passage in Revelation, it also talks about the the smooth pavement. So, yeah.
4: I don't think when the, the scripture said they saw God. Uh, they did not see him physically. It's like when Moses, the shadow, mm-hmm. it could have been something like that. But, it, uh, yeah, or like uh, I, I say, you know, you can't look at God and, you know. Yeah. Some, well, I think... Someway, someday we will be seeing him face to face. But at this instant, if somebody just reads it and they think, oh, I saw God just like they see another person, not so.
1: No, I think what more than li- most likely what they saw was this huge pillar of fire, you know. Yeah, Paul.
7: Well, we also know that many times when they saw the messenger that was sent and they spoke to the messenger the same way as if they were calling or speaking to the Father and recognizing that messenger, and this messenger is going to go before them, which we just read, uh-huh. and we should, and, and we and they should obey his voice, his word, his call, yeah. and now they're hearing, I mean, I don't know, is it, there, it, so it doesn't say that no one has ever seen the Son. Or Yeshua, or the messenger, but it says no one has seen the Father and lived. Yeah. So what are they looking at? That's one of those things. You know. Yeah. Um,
5: I'm, I'm going back to uh, verse seven, where it talks about the book of the covenant. He took the book of the covenant, and I guess there was some kind of scripture already written. Mm-hmm. Well, here that Moses he must talked have, about must have written an already cuz yeah. the word is sefer sefer
1: sefer that's a writing that's a scroll yeah. kind of a thing so i uh, think the the, didn't we
5: read a little passage
1: where he wrote some stuff well, down already buried buried uh, yes in yeah. verse verse 4 moses wrote down everything that yahweh had said wrote right yeah and that's what they i yeah. think that's what he read
5: yeah cuz we were and
1: I think that that this is just me. I think that that was essentially the 10 commandments. So, okay. but that's my opinion. You know, I don't know what it was really, but obviously.
5: Because we were talking about I uh, I think I think brother Mark had mentioned or maybe it was you when Moses wrote this. Well, when M- Moses wrote the Torah.
1: Well, okay, so that's different. A, yeah. Now, it's it's my opinion that what's happened here, you know, is God got the people all ready to meet. Moses got the people all ready to meet God. And God came down on the mountain, and this noise, this loud, thunderous noise, and it sounded like a huge trumpet, and these people were on the ground, covering their ears, telling Moses, you go take care of it. And I, in my opinion, that noise was God saying the Ten Commandments. That's what I think it was. And I think this, where it says in verse 4 there, Moses then wrote down everything that Yahweh had said. Moses was able to understand what he said. All the rest of the people were just scared to death. And so he wrote down those 10 commandments, which would be something you could write without a big, big amount of effort. And then when he went back up the mountain here for 40 days and 40 nights, God went ahead and gave him the, the typewritten copy and duplicate, okay? And that's what he came down the hill with was the the official copy. Now, as far as writing the Torah is concerned, I think he did that in the book of Deuteronomy, if you will. You know, just at the end there when he knew he wasn't going to get to cross over, and I think that's when he actually wrote the Torah. But th- this is all my opinion. It kind of fits with the story, but I don't know if it's true. Um, yes?
2: Can I go back to the first verse? Sure. <clears throat> well, first off, it says, And he said... So, like my commentary before, he's continuing. It's uh, you know, it's a continuation of the previous chapter, obviously. Fair
1: point. Okay, um,
2: and he's you know, he's saying it to Moses, who's who's our mediator. Mm-hmm. But then my my other point was, so how many went up? Ah, uh, yeah, seventy plus you, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu.
1: Well, yeah, but it turns out there's okay. That's fine. Okay,
2: so. In Genesis, when he's telling Joseph, after he finds out, I'm sorry, in Genesis, when he tells Jacob, you know, to go down to Egypt, he says for them to go down as well. it's 70, but then there's a, you know, Septuagint says 75, as my note says, and Acts says <coughs> 75, but here it's, I'm, maybe I'm forcing the, the, the connection, but is it possible that... You know, the, the all of Tavi, that God was with them in this count. I mean, if we count 75 well, to get to be. 75. I just find it's interesting how there's 70 plus 4.
1: That is interesting. Well, although, let me ask you a question. We're going to come to this issue I want to talk about. Is Joshua one of the elders? Okay. Well, Joshua's here too. We're going to find out in just a few minutes that Joshua was here too. So he could be the fifth. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah.
4: Behold the blood of the covenant. I think the word covenant could also be a contract.
1: It sure could.
4: And because a following says, which the Lord has made. Okay. He made the contract of the covenant and the blood was the proof of that covenant or contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I'll give you that.
7: Paul. So. This is another one of those things that I'm noticing, okay, that there is more than one copy of the contract or the covenant. There usually are. So there are a couple of witnesses.
1: Well, not only that, but see, both parties have to have a copy of the contract. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me go on. Um, um, So in verse 12, Yahweh said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands that I have written for their instruction. Okay? And verse 15, 13 says, Then Moses set out with Yahushua, his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in this dispute can go to them. Okay, so who is going on up the mountain? Well, then what's the us and we? It's Joshua and Moses that are going up the mountain. It's, it's, let me read it again, because so I want you to know this. It says, verse 13, Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, uh, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are here with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So it, the we and the us is Joshua and Moses. Well, the so is coming.
2: <laughs> so obviously, it, where are the 70? Are they halfway up?
1: Are you going to talk about the, that? The seven? The, the 70. The, the 70 are done. This is, they're, they're there, they're looking at the pavement, they've seen it, but they're going on up the mountain. Okay, it so says, they've
2: gone halfway up. Or yeah,
1: they've not? gone halfway up, if okay. you will. And not only that, but after the 40 days and 40 nights, they've gone back down to the, to the lowlands. The
3: 70, um, they were bowing themselves from a distance, uh, and it says in verse 2 that Moshe shall draw near to Yahuwah
1: by himself, and let them not draw near, yeah. nor let the people go up with them. Yeah. yeah they, they didn't go very far up the mountain. Those 70 didn't go very far. They, yeah. But they got far enough to see the, the nice sapphire pavement. Yeah. So I'll go on a little farther. Verse 15, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of Yahweh settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, Yahweh called Moses from within the cloud, and to the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So who actually went into the cloud? Moses. So the point I want to make here is Joshua and Moses went up, the, went up but at one point then Joshua stayed there and Moses went up into the cloud. Now How long did Moses stay in the cloud? So how long do you suppose Joshua stayed there? Yeah. Joshua was sitting you know I don't know 15, 20, 100 feet down the hill if you will waiting for Moses the whole time he was up there.
0: How long do you suppose the elders stayed there?
1: Well, I don't I think they gave, I think they gave up pretty quick,
0: firstly. <laughs>
1: so it's interesting here that it
0: says um It says that uh Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain, the glory of the Lord rested on the mountain and the cloud covered for 6 days. Uh he says that uh the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountain. So You might as well say that Moses went into the fire.
1: Yep. So he's not just in a cloud. No, no, no. He he's would,
0: he's in a blaze like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. Yep. And, I mean, he went up above the burnt charred rocks is where he went.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. That's my feeling too. For 40 days.
3: For 40 days, yeah. So... Six days he was up there before on the seventh day Yahweh calls him up. Mm-hmm. So, do you suppose that seventh day was the Shabbat?
1: Could have been. Makes sense. I would think so. Yeah, I would think so too.
3: Let's keep in mind where Joshua's at mm-hmm. because he's going to take part in something real soon that he shouldn't.
1: And well, where's he at? Well, no, it's not so much that he shouldn't. The thing is, is it's going to be a dead giveaway here in the next chapter. Because uh, what's going to happen is when they come back down the hill, I'll just, you know, I'm a spoiler, spoiler alert. When they come back down the hill, you know, Moses comes down and gets Joshua, and they're heading back down the hill, and the people in the camp have already made the golden calf. And God has told Moses, he told Moses, he said, Go down. Your people have already sinned. And he gets to Joshua, and, and Joshua says, Wow, sounds like the people are worshiping down there. And Moses says, they're not worshiping.
3: Who helped to make the golden calf?
1: Aaron. Aaron. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. So that, that's, that's why I can be really sure that Joshua was with him up on the hill.
4: Uh, God did not call... Joshua to go up. He called Moses uh, just more or less because Moses is the, is the one that invited Joshua to go with him, but God called Moses to come up, not well, Joshua.
1: All right, that could be. It says in verse 13 that Moses set out with Joshua, but it says in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me. So, yeah, technically you are correct.
2: Y'all are going too fast. <laughs> Uh, I just want to point in verse 3. And Moses came up and told the people all the words Yehovah, and all, of Yehovah and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words with Yehovah has said, we will do. So that's the second witness. The first time it was done was back in Exodus 19, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Then down here in verse 7, I'll just start at 6. And Moses took half of the blood, and put it in the basins, and half of the blood, he sprinkled it on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant, and read it, and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that Yahweh has said, we will do, and we will be obedient. Now, that's like a third
1: time. Yep, that's a third time. I'll give you that. But what is
2: the word obedient? Word for obedient is Shema. Shema.
1: How about that? I right? that, yeah. The
2: Great Commission, I have an article number 253, the Great Commission is to teach Torah, where I point out that in Matthew 22, 20, 34 to 40, the Messiah talks of the Great Commission, which is the Shema. Twenty six, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. So we said we will Shema. We won't just hear. Yeah,
1: we, we will, will obey. We will be obedient. We will hear and obey. That's a good point. Okay, let's see. Um, that said when he went up, you know, in verse fourteen, there it says that uh, Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So he's leaving Aaron Aaron in charge while he goes up to do business with God. Now, do you remember her? Not not her H E R her H U R. Who is her?
2: Wasn't he instrumental in designing the tabernacle or nope. Nope. No. Or I could get I guess of something else. Her is,
1: is Moses' brother-in-law. It's Miriam's husband, So, for what it's worth. So her and Aaron are, Moses is leaving them in charge, and he's going to be out of town on a business trip for a while.
0: Do you think that her, her son was able to say, I am so-and-so Ben-Hur?
1: Ben-Hur? <laughs> I'm sure he could say that, yep. <coughs> so it says on, in verse 17 of that last, that chapter 24, To the Israelites the glory of Yahweh looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Okay. Okay. Any other thoughts about that? Because we're now entering a a, a portion that's a a little bit tedious. But it's important to note that this is all very action-oriented. And so what happens after this, for the next several chapters, is a summary from Moses' uh, own remembrance of what he heard when he was on the mountain for those 40 days. Okay? Yeah? Paul? Paul? We got a we got a customer over here.
7: Okay, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to him first and then I'll come back to him. <laughs> Fries that shake, sir.
3: What's amazing about the uh, consuming fire uh, setting the whole mountain ablaze is it started with the burning bush, and so you know Mo shares bringing the people back to to essentially the site where That's the burning bush was. That's a very good was. point. Yep, and here he's thinking, you know, I'm going to show him, hey, you know, it's really cool. He was talking me out of this burning bush. Yeah. And then they get there and the whole mountain hit yeah. on fire. <laughs> the burning so bush has gotten to be a little bit bigger deal. quite the impression <laughs> yeah. that was made.
1: That, that's a very good point. I like that.
7: Looking at uh, verse 12 at the end where it says, and I have written for their instruction, I uh, The Hebrew word there is yara, yara. And the primitive root is to flow as water. That is rain. Um, Aiming by the finger, an archer, cast. And so it's used as to teach, to shoot, shot, cast, instruct, archers taught, teachers teaching, directed instructions, it goes on and on and on and on. But it's connected with the thought of water. So when we start
1: thinking again, I'm gonna stretch it way over here to living water. Well, that's okay, but I would I would go another way. Okay. What I was always taught is the word Torah carries with it this idea of a bullseye, and it does have an archery kind of a thing where the Torah is the bull is the bullseye, the target, and you're trying to hit the bullseye in the target. Now the water analogy is fine too. Yeah. all of that all of that works.
7: But the word instruction yara yara, and it's used twice, is the instruction. If you want to use that. Uh-huh. Helps you aim toward that bullseye. I
2: get yeah. that, what you're saying. Good, yeah. good. So was that verse 12 you were looking at? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you do a research on Torah, it'll point you to this word, Yara. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the instructions are, lead you to the Torah. But anyway, I was going to comment on this verse. There's a lot of other cool words in here. And, a, and of stone and a law, the Torah, Torah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. commandments mitzra the mit- the the mitzvahs mm-hmm. which I have written kata uh, katavti, which is ketubah.
1: okay that's interesting that's interesting and
2: uh the the teaching part which is their tithyat- instruction.
1: Yeah. Right? yeah yeah it's amazing how all these words kind of fit together okay yes.
4: I was just looking here at uh, verse 12, uh, these tab, uh, tabled stones, we always take it uh, there's two stones, a law and commandments. Uh, the law are the stones and the commandments are the commandments that are written on the stone.
1: Yeah, okay. Mark's got something.
0: So I find this is very interesting. I never saw this before, but I was looking at that word you were talking about, yura yara. In, in the Hebrew, um, so what it says with the law and the commandment, the word law there, of course, is Torah. But where it says instruction, The actu- I know the <coughs> root word is yura, but the actual word in the text is harot, and it's the same letters for Torah, almost in reverse. Harot, which means to teach and show. I've never seen that before.
1: I never have either. There's, there's more intricate details with the language than you can imagine. Well, let's go on. We're close to being done, but I want to at least get started in chapter 25, if that's okay. Um, I'll read this first little section, and then we'll kind of set the stage for next week. Chapter 25, starting at the beginning, Yahweh said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. And these are the offerings that you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and the hides of sea cows. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing, oil for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece, And then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. So, like I say, that's the introduction to what we're getting ready to look at for the next couple of weeks. But some thoughts about that. Um, the Hebrew word that they translate as tabernacle is mishkan, which means dwelling place. Um, so what was the purpose of the mishkan? It says right there. Yeah, so I can dwell with you. I want to live with you. I want to be with you. I think that's a pretty amazing thing. God intends to live there. He intends to have his tent among your tents, our tents. So I think that's, that's something to at least take note of. Um, why do you suppose he would do such a thing? Well, one answer is, go ahead, John
2: because he wants to.
1: Well, there's the best answer. There's the best answer. And I like that because that basically goes to the, you know, the the nub of what love means. Like, you know, love is a, is an act, is an act of the will. And God has chosen to love his people.
6: It's been evident since he put the garden of Eden in for to come and walk with them.
1: That's a good point. That's a good point. He likes He likes to talk to us. He likes us. I mean, of course he does. We read that all the time. But it's just interesting that he's willing to do this, you know.
2: Emmanuel.
1: Emmanuel, God with us. With his people. Yeah. So he said right up front, I'm doing this because I want to be a part of your lives. Now, it turns out that God being God, being perfectly righteous and, uh, you know, the, the creator God of the universe who is so much bigger than we could ever understand, there are some uh, necessary, um, how do I put it? Necessary restrictions to how closely we can interact with him on a physical level, but he's willing to do all kinds of stuff to make that happen, you know. And so that's kind of what we're looking at with some of this. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Part part of the, the instruction is not only telling us how to live with our neighbors, mm-hmm. but also to live with him.
1: Absolutely. So,
7: again, if we kick away the instructions of, one, how to live with him, and then how to live with our neighbor, what do we got? (laughs) Each one going uh, going according to their own understanding?
1: Yeah. Well, and not only that, but like I say, one of the things that I've always kind of, or I've become to take kind of personally is, how would you feel if you were God and 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 one of your kids came to you and says, well, I understand you've got all these rules and regulations for how I should behave, but how about if I just go ahead and come in like this, and, you know, we just do this this way, and we don't do it the way you want to. We just kind of change it around a little bit, and why don't we bring these other things in there? I mean, I'd be offended. Mark?
0: <laughs> I was going to say, it's interesting in, in verse 8 and 9. In verse 8, it says, let them construct a mikdash.
1: Mikdash, okay.
0: And then in verse 9... The pattern of the Mishkan. So the Mikdash is the holy place.
1: That's okay.
0: And the tabernacle is the whole structure. Yeah. But the, the but the Mikdash is that very place at the very back.
1: Okay. That's good. I'm glad you said that's the sanctuary in my version, but yeah, okay.
2: So I have another verse. Okay. Than the smart aleck one I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> Revelations twenty one, three. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God.
1: Oh, that's great. That's really good. Where was that? Okay. That's great. So it says, so it says, love God
3: and love your neighbor. So when that kind of go full
1: circle become. That God is your neighbor? Well, that in this, yeah, <laughs> that kind of the way. In this case, he's a pretty special neighbor, though. He's got the, definitely the best house in the neighborhood.
2: Located. You can't miss it.
1: One last thing, uh, just to we'll cover, leave it with this, is that, so he wants, you know, look at this list of stuff here. I mean, it's really kind of a cool list. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red. Hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil, uh, spices, oil, and fragrant incense, and onyx stones and gems. Where do you suppose they got all this stuff?
2: I was just going to ask that.
1: Egypt? I thought they were slaves. Yeah, yeah. When they left, you remember, God said, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed to you, and they will give you uh, all kinds of wealth and stuff. For you to take with you when you leave.
2: What what I was thinking about, it could have been more than just like this is what you owe me type of thing. Yeah, it could be like I, I you, you know, obviously your God is the is the God that that needs to be worshipped. Here, mm-hmm. take my stuff as well. It's worthless here. Yeah, use it here in a tabernacle. So yeah. it could have been the it could voluntarily give, they could have been representatives of the people in e- in uh, in Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, to to um, sure. How about that?
3: I like how uh, in verse uh, 2, he says, from everyone whose heart moves him, you shall take up my contribution. So it's not necessarily a demand he's making, he's wanting people to give
1: out of their hearts. Yes. And that's a good point because that's kind of a New Testament type thing, really. You know, but God doesn't say, you shall have a tax and everybody shall pay, you know, one tenth of their income or whatever. He basically says, as as their heart moves them. So what does that tell you about who moves the heart? Yeah. So
2: I think Karl Marx kind of perverts that a little bit.
1: <laughs> let's see. I guess I was thinking about that just the other day. Uh, Karl Marx, let's see. God says, you know, we're to, we're to act like what's mine is yours. And Karl Marx says, what's yours is mine. All right. Enough, enough said. I think it's time to go. Um, any last thoughts? <coughs> I'll close in prayer. Though no, Mark's got something, excuse me, for cutting you off early.
0: I was just going to say, uh, you're talking about them bringing the gold out of Egypt. Um, John sometimes says maybe it's back wages that yeah. really was due to the children. But doesn't it say in Scripture that uh, we're going to carry the gold from the lands that we've been scattered to back to Israel?
1: I don't know, it might. I think so. Okay. well, that'll be a good one for us to go find. I can get into that. Okay. Father God, thank you very much for the evening. Thank you for your Torah. Thank you for the fun stuff that we can look at and find here. Um, it's, it's amazing how dense it is. how if we just sit and, and look at some of these sentences and some of the things that uh, are obvious, uh, the pictures that, that come out. I thank you for your Torah. I ask that you just uh, bless us this week as we go through our week. Keep us safe and help us to think on these things until we meet together again next week. In Jehoshua's name, amen. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.